Starting your own band in your 30s? What? Welcome to the Joyous Expansion Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Dupree, scouring the globe to bring you stories of courage, passion, and resilience. If I could sum up this podcast into one word, I would use empathy. Now let's get inspired. Welcome to the Joyous Expansion Podcast. I am your host once again, Brett Dupree. Wow, episode 98. How exciting to that. Today I talked to a musician who actually did a successful Kickstarter. I'm sure you're going to like her very much. Her name is Tecla, but first I must get vulnerable in my life because if I can't be vulnerable, how can I expect my guests to be? This last two weeks have been fun for me. I took the Moderna shot last Wednesday and it's pretty much the reason why I didn't get this podcast out because that one threw me for the loop. It was the booster shot. And man, did I have brain fog. I was kind of tired. It was hard for me to think. It happened to me Thursday, Friday, and a little bit on Saturday and Sunday. I didn't realize how much it affected me on Saturday and Sunday because when I woke up on Monday, I was like, holy crap, I can think again. Woohoo! That was, that was an interesting vaccine, to say the least. I've never actually had that kind of reaction from a vaccine before, but that is my body's immune system being kick-started by an awesome modern invention. That's not very vulnerable, but what is vulnerable is I was doing my work evaluation because I'm a software tester in my paid vocation. I don't like them. And I was thinking about that today, that I just have this weird mental block to doing work evaluations. I don't like writing my goals, and I love goal setting. I do goal setting, but I just don't like doing it when money is involved, apparently. I don't like writing my year-to-date. I don't really like bragging about myself. That took a lot of work to be able to do through Toastmasters even and speaking. And when you want to promote yourself as a speaker, as a coach and all that stuff, you get good at promoting yourself and bragging in a way, humble bragging, nicely bragging. You need to brag in a way because the more you can convince someone you can help them, the more you can actually well help them. And I've never liked doing that. I always had self worth issues, I guess I would say. I mean, I've always loved myself. I always think I was pretty cool, but convincing other people that I was pretty cool was something I always find kind of weird and off-putting. And when it comes to a work situation, I just don't like doing it. And I've been kind of not doing a good job the last couple ones. And it's just like, urgh. And so today I finally wrote one entire page, which is more than I ever wrote on any of those before. So Hopefully that's helpful, but it just got me thinking about it, and a lot of it has to do with the profession I'm in. I am a software tester, and the thing about software, it's mostly a very unstable field. I like stability. That's one of my loves of life. I like things to be stable and easy and smooth going, and the software industry is always go, go, go. Generally speaking, people stay somewhere around three to four years until they go to their next job, because honestly, if you don't do that, your wage will stagnate. And it's ridiculous amount. You make like 50% less if you don't change your job multiple times in 10 years. It's a ridiculous number. And I noticed that because once I get one high paying job, all of a sudden, everybody is willing to pay me the max. My skills are yeah better, but if I had never had that one job that paid me $35 an hour out of nowhere, and that what it felt at the time was like, holy crap, my highest paying job before that was $24.50. Or maybe, I think I got 2602 Yeah, 2602 I was feeling pretty good about that. And then I got a $35 an hour job. 
And since then, most of my jobs have been over $30, kind of a couple I've been under that I've taken due to either desperation or because I saw a future in them and I saw an interesting challenge. And yeah, I mean, it's just weird that way, but it's just the instability of that is, and the fact that a lot of people like new challenges and there's a lot of burnout where they take advantage of the fact that people do move around a lot and they kind of think of programmers as replaceable. It's not an industry that really I feel, I mean, they say they appreciate you. They appreciate you in a way like an abusive partner would where they shower you with gifts but they still treat you like you're a commodity i mean they'll give you a beanbag chair and a foosball table and a video game room that if you ever see you in they'll probably fire you but they'll also try to you know have you work on weekends and have crunch and you need to work 60 80 hours a week oh and now that our thing is shipped you're laid off you know find another job and it's just been and i've been in that I've always felt like a mercenary. And so when I'm at a place full time, I, with my underlying anxiety, I still have an issue in believing that I'm stable and I feel it's traumatic. It took a long time for me to even accept this job. And if you listened to me before, I think I've talked about this, where something is my boss at the time liking me on LinkedIn sent me into a panic thinking that I got fired because twice before. I was like, oh, somebody liked me on LinkedIn that was above me that liked me. And so just those thoughts and just, it's silly how it works out. And a lot of that has to do with writing my performance review. You know, writing a good performance review does a better job of keeping me at that location as well, which seems to be one way I sabotage myself. The way I deal with problems is to ignore and do the bare minimum and just kind of freak out, which kind of causes that to happen. That's one thing I'm really working on fixing this year. I plan on using internal family systems. And I just want to get out of my own way, you know. If I fail at something, I don't want it to be because of me. I, I want it to be because I, not because of me, but not because of my anxieties and fears. I just want to do with my, maybe skills wasn't a fit or they decided to go another direction or type thing. Not because I messed up because I was too nervous to do something as silly as writing a good performance review. Because that's what life is all about. There are so many things in life that are difficult. There are so many things in life that are hard. And bad things can happen to you. So I think one of the benefits, one of the things we should work towards, include yourself, is to make sure when something happens to you, you're not the main cause of that. If you can remove your anxieties and triggers that causes you to sabotage your life and so you're just dealing with the normal bs that exists out there then life will be easier it'll be better and you will be or at least increase your chances of being successful and more successful and all that's important speaking of being an amazing artist i mean she's successful in my book tecla is outstanding. So I'm very excited for you to listen to this interview with somebody who I've watched grown as an artist since I've known her and grow as a musician in the industry. Seattle-based singer-songwriter and 2018 Listen Up Woman in Music grant recipient and the 2019 Jack Straw Cultural Center Recording grant recipient Tecla Waterfield lives in the wide open realm of Americana roots music incorporating elements of folk, country, indie, rhythm, and blues, and soul, with influence ranging from Courtney Barnett to Amy Mann, Jim James, 
Wilco, the Velvet Underground, and Marvin Gaye. Waterfield aims to tell a story, paint a picture, and evoke emotion with each of her songs. And now, here is my interview with Tecla Waterfield. Hello, Tecla, and welcome to my podcast. Hello, Brett. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you. Can you please give the listeners a brief introduction to who you are? Sure. I'm a musician, and I'm a singer, and I write songs, and I play music a lot, and record, do releases, and virtual shows. That's pretty much my whole life. I also teach some arty things, some paint parties, and doing that all virtual right now. And yeah, that's pretty much the, the quick summary. Has music always been a big part of your life? It has been, yeah, pretty much forever. My mom's a musician and grew up in a household with music and was singing and harmonizing from a young age and just was my favorite thing to do. All through school, I'd rather be in the music in the choir room. I was the choir kid. I was the choir geek in high school that hung out in the choir room at lunchtime. <laughs> Did you always want to be a performer growing up? I always was halfway into it and halfway deathly afraid of it. But yeah, <laughs> pretty much. What were your biggest fears in performing? I think the stage fright part, like the nerves of people looking at you and judging you. I mean, that's never really fully gone away. There's times where I'm feeling more fierce <laughs> and it doesn't matter as much, but that's definitely the thing. Like I sang at my high school graduation in front of all my classmates and their families and our friends. And I was so excited. I was the only soloist at my graduation. At the time, I was like, oh no, why did I say I do this about to have a panic attack? But then, you know, you do it and it's fine. So <laughs> so I wanted you to get to the point where you want to start doing albums and do a band and all that was fun things. It was later for me than it is for the traditional kind of the story we hear about people like Bob Dylan and stuff. We started when they were like 17, 18 or whatever, or 14 or 15. I was always singing, but I didn't start. Well, I was always writing poetry, but I didn't put the two together until later. It was like kind of right after college, actually, I was like 26, 27. I, I started singing backing vocals in a band. So this was my first band experience. Before that, I'd done choir and jazz vocal kind of stuff and a little bit of like show tunes, you know, Broadway, a little bit, not much. But then I sang in the band and that's when I started going, hey, I think I finally am going to pick up the guitar and so I can accompany myself and write songs. And from there, you know, the rest is history. I played with them for four years. We released a couple albums. And then when we went our separate ways, that's when I really started writing and releasing my music. And that was, we got together in 2009 and we moved to Se Seattle in 2010, split up and I guess it was 2013. And that's when I really started kind of on my own path as a songwriter. Yeah. Time flies. Wow. <laughs> it certainly does. So you utilizing the power of math, it sounds like you're around 30 when you decided to step out into your own. And a lot of people especially music for some reason, seem to think that's too late to start. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we get a lot of, you know, the pop culture and all of that kind of those ideals, you know, oh, the phenomenon, the child phenomenon or whatever. We're just like, as a culture, we're sort of obsessed with youth and we're really sort of obsessed with people who figure out greatness or, you know, hit that magic button at that young age. You know, we just... I don't know. And also I have record labels, for example, traditional record labels anyway, have 
been about finding the child star that then they can squeeze 20 years of money out of (laughs) by putting them on their label. And so that's sort of the old way that the traditional ways. Yeah, I do feel like in some ways I was behind for a long time and I'm sort of catching up a little bit. But you know what they say, better late than never. Or really, if I wasn't going to do it then, I, I would have done it now anyway. So might as well keep going, I guess. <laughs> so why did you decide to do it? Was it just a passion and desire? Well, once I started singing with that band that I first joined, it's kind of like, it's hard to describe the first time that I ever wrote something. And at this point, I didn't play an instrument. I just had this song idea and I brought it to the band and then they created it. So the band was upright bass, guitar, trumpet, violin. And then we all kind of sang. There were male and female and lots of harmonies. I remember it was going around the town on a Saturday night, looking for adventure and party life. We were kind of a folk rocky kind of band, like spaghetti western, really rootsy string band kind of vibe. And the other girl in the band and I would do a lot of ooh, ah, together. So I kind of had this Andrew Sisters inspired song. So I just wrote the melody and the lyrics and then brought it to the band. And then they figured out chords and that feeling. I can't even tell you. It was just the best feeling of my life to feel that thing that can come from inside of you, just an idea and have it just like fully blossom and then with other people and take life. I mean, it's just like once you've done that and you're me, I guess, or someone who has these types of personalities and interests like I do, which is singing and writing, it just made perfect sense, you know, and then it's like, it's hard to stop, you know, once you kind of get going that way, then everything in life can be a song, like every, everything that you experience, you could just be like, well, there's a story there that I could tell, you know, so it's like, it's addictive, I guess. What was it like playing your first solo the, the performance, I guess? Well, it was nerve-wracking. I practiced a lot. I was still very much a newbie guitar player. I'd only been playing for three and a half, four years. And I remember having a lot of friends, people that I knew from the open mic that I used to host. They all came out and they were. it was just like all my people were there. So I felt very supported and it felt good. I mean, it was like definitely like, People were like, oh, I can tell you've been practicing because I was still so new. I hardly, you know, I I definitely kind of sucked, but it takes a while, I think, on a new instrument or just anything new where you're figuring it out that you're going to kind of suck maybe for a little while. (laughs) You know, you can't let that hold you back from doing it. And I'm, I'm a big fan of learning by doing, you know, so just do it, do it, do it and learn, learn, learn. I'd rather do it than talk about it is kind of my motto. So yeah, here I am. (laughs) That's really cool. I know a lot of people who actually not myself included, probably in this, would rather feel like they get to a point where they're good before they get out there, you know, Mm -hmm. get to the point where, and a lot of times that can, why a lot of people don't start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was lucky because I started singing from a young age. So I, and I performed on stages from a young age with my mom, like my sister and I sang harmonies with her when we were little. And so we always had stage experience. I always had that. So it wasn't at all never afraid of being in front of people really. Like I took speech class in college and my professor was like, you are a natural in front of an audience. And I'm like, I know, (laughs) but you know, it doesn't mean I don't get nervous. But anyway, I think having 
just having at least a little of that process sort of feeling comfortable, then the sort of I'm strong in some ways, then these weaknesses, maybe I can hide them a little bit until I get better. (laughs) Also, I just wanted to do it, you know? And also I wasn't comfortable being just a backing person. When I was in that other band, I was getting closer and closer to the front of the stage. They might try to keep me in the back for a minute there with the backing vocals, but I was like, no. I don't want to stand behind everybody. I don't know. I just have that in me that I want to, not that I think I've had struggles with the ego part of that, you know, because I'm like aware that there's a certain thing there that feels a little bit egotistical and I don't really like that. So I struggle with that sometimes where I'm like, gosh, why does it have to be like this? But then I don't know. I think there's just people that have the natural performance in them. It's not so much ego as it is just a sort of natural drive. Uh, Can you explain that ego part a little bit more? Elaborate. We all have our ego that's we have to work on, hopefully, as we we go through life on figuring out when our ego is leading us in the wrong direction. If it's all me, 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 then that's probably the wrong direction. (laughs) So I think performers maybe struggle with that sometimes because like comedians, you know, we're working constantly on presenting something that comes from within us and is so much about like, validating our thoughts and our expression and our emotions. And that takes a certain amount of ego. Really, you have to feel like what you have to say is worth saying in front of people or what you have to express. There's plenty of times where I'm not sure if it is. I don't know. There's. I think there's just that balance there where I, sometimes I'm just, I'm very aware of it. Like when I have to share tell people about shows. I'm like, come to my show. Like I'm, I just have to tell myself, okay, this is business. This is business. It's part of your art. You just have to like, look at it that way. So you don't feel like you're just being this annoying self-centered person. (laughs) That's always like, look at my thing. So I try to support other people as much as possible. So I don't feel like I'm going down that road. Isn't there also a service aspect of performing as well (laughs) as you're giving to the audience? Yeah, I definitely say so. I think that's totally, totally, totally true. I think when I'm able to get into that mindset, it's usually better. Like when I'm like aware that this is a an act of giving and receiving and that myself and the audience are getting both. We're giving and receiving because they're giving me their focus and their attention, hopefully, <laughs> on a, a good show. And then I'm giving them my, you know, whatever, my story, my expression and art. So yeah, it's true. Definitely. What way do you want to actually release an album? From what I understand, that is a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Well, once I started to go off on my own, it took me a couple years. It was two years of playing solo before I released my first album. And I didn't feel like I had enough material. I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't, you know, I just didn't think I was really ready to do that yet when I first started, but then I guess two years isn't that long. I don't know, whatever. I, I put out that first album. It was with the playing mostly with a, a band live kind of vibe and was a lot of breakup songs and kind of, I think they're just like albums are sort of like markers of, of time. So when I look back at that album, I'm like, wow, I was in a totally different place. And I'm glad that I have that documented to just sort of look back on. But there, again, I think it's that drive. And that's, it's the same thing that goes hand in hand with once I started writing a song and feeling what it feels like to, to create it and to watch it blossom and become alive. I was hooked on that. And then it was like, well, now I'm writing a lot of songs. And then it's like, well, what am I doing with these songs? I'm not going to just not share them. So the natural process is to present them in a package for people. And that's, that's the way that things have 
traditionally gone, things are changing somewhat now with, and especially right now with COVID, I have a lot of material that I'm sitting on that I'm trying to figure out how to release right now, because I don't want to just throw them out. (laughs) Just, yeah, but it just feels natural to do it, I think, to make albums. You're talking about your first album had a lot of breakup songs. So from what I understand, your music and is part of your poetry, it's part of you. There's some vulnerability of putting yourself out there like that. What do you think about that and how do you deal with it? There's plenty of, of songs that have stories that are very personal and there's just different ways to present those stories. You can make them on the nose and very obvious and you can kind of be like sort of playfully jokey kind of about it or you can be a little bit more sort of abstract and poetic and there's so many different ways to express i don't feel super vulnerable about my music anymore i just feel like again i just feel like it's natural it's like once you start tapping into something and the more and more you do it and the more and more you share it it just feels natural it doesn't feel i I try not to like feel like i'm forcing anything you know i don't know I don't think about the vulner- vulnerability part as much as I did early on, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> you funded one of your albums through Kickstarter. And mm-hmm. a lot of most, I'm sure most Kickstarters actually are unsuccessful. And you ran a successful Kickstarter campaign. What made you want to go through Kickstarter? And how did you get to the point where your Kickstarter was successful? Well, there's a long story behind that. I ran both of my previous band's Kickstarters for our group. And the first one, we did not meet the goal. The second one, we did. So I learned a lot by doing those first two with the band. I did my, no, 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 it was my 2018 album with the Kickstarter. I'm trying to remember all these albums now. And got that funded. And then I actually just did another one in February for my album that I've got coming out this this time around. That one finally got a, whatever it's called, a I forget what it's called, but Kickstarter chooses projects that get like a, a stamp of approval from them. And I'd never gotten one before. And this one I did, they, they, you know, where they feature your page. And I think it just <laughs> took a few tries of figuring out how to use that platform. But what I learned is it's, it's very effective. You have to be very succinct and tell your story as quickly as possible and make it authentic. And visuals helps I've gotten in the habit of taking video footage and pictures of recording. So I had some great video footage and I just made it into this short little, here's what we're doing. Here's the band, you know, kind of thing. And just listed exactly what we were going to use it for, what we needed the money, you know, how much we needed. And, and I learned that you have to literally get on the ball every single day that the campaign's running to basically hustle your, you know, hustle the, the project out to people because otherwise it won't work. It won't get funded. It's if I'm going to do another one, I'm just like, oh, okay, here we go. Cause I know how much, <laughs> how much hustle it is to try to, to get it to happen for me at this point. Anyway, I mean, who knows maybe by next year I'll be rich and famous. <laughs> <laughs> how do you go about hustling for something like that? You basically have to contact every single person, you know, like make a huge list and then go down the list and plan on contacting at least 20 to 30 people every day. And I've gotten to know a lot of people and a lot of people through doing music because I'm in the scene now for 10 years. So I've gotten to know a lot of people from performing and, you know, I have a mailing list, but on top of that, just people I've gotten to know on like social media and stuff. I plan on, you know, sending 25, 30 little messages a day. And then I, the next week 
or the week after I go back through from the top of the list all the way back down again and just say, hey, you know, just an update on how the project's going. Because people oftentimes forget and they need that reminder and they actually thank me for it. And I just try to keep it short and sweet. Here's the link. No worries, you know, no obligations for anyone to support it. Just letting you know this is happening and, and it's been effective. It's, uh, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> and I do feel like I'm annoying people and I have to just keep saying it's business. It's business. It's business. <laughs> well, I would also say you also like your music, so it'd be nice for them to hear it, right? Yeah, I think so. I, again, this is where I've learned some lessons the hard way earlier on when I was doing some camp fun paint, fundraiser campaign. I can't remember which one it was. I got an email or a message back basically saying I was spamming someone and they were very, very unkind about it. And it was someone I didn't know very well. And I think they just felt offended that I sent it or how I said it. So I've just learned to be very, very careful and precise and just be careful about it because it does, some people find it spammy and, and offensive, but it's hard to know out of the however hundreds or thousands of people you meet quote unquote, on social media, which ones are going to want to know about it? Because there's a lot of people that I don't personally know, but I know them on social media and they want to to know about this and they want to order it. Basically, you're pre-ordering the album, but it's hard to know which ones are the ones that are out of all of those that are going to be annoyed or offended. So, you know, you just kind of have to not worry too much about that. I feel like. Awesome. So what do you like best about being a performer? That's a good question because there's plenty of times where I'm not sure if I like it, (laughs) honestly, because And I know a lot of professional performers have these conflicts too, where you're like, you're just, you're nervous or you're uncomfortable or feeling awkward at the moment. The best thing is when you get through that to where the heart and soul of it. But yeah, with performing, I'd say the best part is when you can get past whatever all surface level ego fears and doubts to where the real expression is happening when you're really feeling you're feeling whatever it is you're performing, whatever you're saying, whatever you're singing, whatever you're presenting, and it's just flowing. You get just kind of get like a runner's high. It's like a bliss of where you just feel totally, absolutely wonderful. Like at that, I've gotten to that place where I've felt like I was going to cry like many times and because the emotion is so intense. But that doesn't always happen for me every single time. There's plenty of times where I'm just like caught up in feeling like, do I look okay? Or do these people hate me? I can't tell, you know, and there's plenty of times when that's the case and getting to the happy place is the best. I guess um, bouncing off that thing I do know about you is I've seen that you've played in an airport. What's it like playing in in an airport? (laughs) Yeah, I played there for like five years. Okay. So first of all, it's a great gig for someone who was sort of a newbie player trying to get some experience because I had to play three hour sets and I did not want to play the same song over and over again. So I never played same song twice. So I had to really A, learn some new songs, cover songs, or B, it motivated me to write a lot more songs because I didn't want to keep playing the same songs. For that reason, it was a fantastic sort of catalyst for me to grow as an artist to have those regular, I played like once a week for roughly, not always, but roughly once a week for about five years at the airport, three hour sets. What I felt like was at first I was really shy and nervous and kind of didn't want people to look at me a little bit. And then it shifts, it shifts every time. Cause you're, you're just like this weird science experiment where 
they set you in this walkway where all these people are walking by. And at first it just felt like they were looking at you like, what the heck? And then I think people started to get used to it and people started to even love it. And they started putting up chairs around the performers. It's like they appreciated it, but it was so weird because it wasn't a traditional concert setup. They don't have to pay attention to you. They're talking. So you, you know, you're kind of aware that you're just this sort of ambiance feature that they provide for the travelers. So it's weird and good and awesome. Also was a great source of income. And I sold a lot of my CDs at the airport, like the most of of my merch I sold at the airport because people were like, Ooh, and they would take it back home to wherever they were going with them. I mean, people from China and like just all over the world. So that was pretty cool. And I got music placed in two films because music supervisors walked by when I was playing, said, I love your voice. Let me check out your music. It was a great growth experience opportunity. It was not easy. I got burnout for sure. And I also got really tired of playing for people's backs sometimes where it feels like, does this even matter? (laughs) It's good and bad. Mostly good. Yeah. Uh, What kind of music do you have coming up? So I'm working on a, it'll be my third album and that is almost totally done. It was recorded through a artist grant at Jack Straw Cultural Center in part, uh, and then some of it finished at home and we've already mastered it. We've got the art, we're just ready to go. So we're just kind of waiting for the right time to release it. And then we've also started my, I say we, my husband and I, he's like my music partner. He produces and plays a lot of instruments on the albums, but we're working on my fourth album now as well. So lots of music coming up the pipe. Keep an eye out for that if you want. <laughs> awesome. Uh, but uh, Also, by the time this is going to go out, it'll most likely be out. So <laughs> Okay, cool. Sweet. So we're coming to the end of our time together. One thing I like to ask my guests is for a one minute of motivation. You can imagine this as if you have a time machine and you're going back in time to your eight-year-old self and you want to convey everything you need to know to live a happy, joy-filled life. But unfortunately, you'll have a minute until you're plopped back into the future. Or you can think of it as taking your entire life's purpose or message and condensing it down into a minute. So you ready? Cool is important. Education is important. Learning new things, even if you don't necessarily want to spend the time doing them, learning to play guitar. (laughs) It's a good idea to start. Go ahead and do it. Listen to people. Listen to your friends. Let them talk. Don't talk over them. Try a lot of things. Just try stuff. You never know what you're going to like until you try it. Don't be afraid. Follow your heart. Listen to what feels right for you, not what anyone else says you should do because that's the happiness, not success in the rich and famous kind of way. It's it's what's really going to make you feel good at the end of the day. What is that? It might not necessarily be becoming a rich lawyer or doctor. It might be working with people in community centers. That might be your happiness. So figure out what that is for you by listening to your instincts and trusting your instincts. Don't do drugs. Just don't even try it at all. Don't do it. Take ibuprofen if you need pain reliever. Don't do anything worse than that. You'll regret it. Life will suck. Love your family, love your friends, and try to stay positive. Keep your chin up. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I very much enjoyed listening to your story on how at a later age than normal, but not mean not normal, but what society tells us how musicians are started, you started, and not only started, you knocked out a niche for you and started before you were perfect. We're able to go out there and spread a lot of joy and happiness through your music and then to turn it into a business 
where you do make some money out of it, which is really cool. Being able to do that for yourself as a way to sell yourself and showing people that it can be done and how creating that cool Kickstarter and becoming successful in that. Thank you so much for shining your light into this world with your music. And thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Yeah, dude. Good to chat with you. Always a pleasure. May your day be special. Thank you. You too. And there you have it, folks. That is my interview with Tecla Waterfield. I very much enjoyed her story on how she decided to get her act out there, really put on a show and live her dreams. I liked how it was also incremental. She started out as a backup singer and then stepped up, stepped up, stepped up. But she also utilized the skills to making Kickstarter for her other band into her new band. And I think that's really cool. The ability to sing for hours at an airport still boggles my mind. I've heard of situations like that. I am a Toastmaster and I've spoke at the Microsoft store. It was one of the clubs, the professionally speaking Toastmasters at the time. And the distraction of... It was like this back room, and it was completely windowed. There were people in front of me, but there's also a lot of people behind me, a lot of screens showing commercials for various Microsoft products, and it was very distracting. I thought it was an amazing experience in practicing performing in a distracted environment, one thing they talk about in public speaking. And I've seen this at a Toastmaster conference, is we a lot of times have lunch speeches, And the person who speaks is just somebody in the community. They generally aren't that good at speaking. And a lot of people like myself are eating and not really paying attention. Some people are, some people aren't. And you hear a lot of distractions. And I imagine that's just a hard way to play, hard way to perform and go out there. So Tecla being able to do that, didn't realize she did it for that long. I remember her just talking about, because we're Facebook friends, they'd be like, ah, I'm playing at... The airport, if you can come see me, that'd be cool. And I never did, because who wants to go to the airport if you don't need to go to the airport? But I have seen her play multiple times. I actually took my girlfriend there to see her when she was playing at a fair in Bellevue. Oh, how I miss fair so much. It was nice. She she has a very... I like her music. It's very soft, folksy, very fun to listen to, a lot of cool lyrics. She's a lyrical types i mean some you know how some musicians are a lot of it's the music and you can and you don't and the lyrics are um i don't know i'm not really into music enough to say it but i'm just saying she has really good lyrics it's like poetry and it fits well with her music so if you want to check her out teclawaterfield.com t-e-k-l-a-w-a-t-r-f-i-e-l-d.com her new album let there be has oh wait New album is Trouble in Time has released, it looks like, or at least the first track off that album has released. Can you get the entire album? Yeah. Looks like the album's not out yet, but one of the tracks have dropped. You can get The Curtain Falls from 2018 or The Nightlight of Wearing on Me. Plus, you can just go on our website, check out our music, and I'm sure you'll like it very much. And there you have it, folks. That is episode 98 of the Joyous Expansion Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I love you if you made it this far because you're amazingly awesome. You can email me for any reason at bre2tsgpr2es at joyousexpansion.com. You can find me at joyousexpansion.com. 
Find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, not Facebook, YouTube at joyousexpansion.com, but not Facebook because that's increase your, yeah, increase your joy because my SEO game sucks. I messed up my own joke that I've been making for less than half my episodes. Such a failure. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Remember, I love you for who you are. You're absolutely amazing. I'm Brett Dupree, your champion of authentic joy, catalyst of transformation of the Church of Awesome, and joyous expansion life coach. Wishing you once again to be love, to be joy, to be awesome. Now play my jingle. JoyousExpansion.com. JoyousExpansion.com. Come and say hello to Brett Dupree. He is an inspirational life coach. Good for you and good for me. He turned my life from gray to blue. I'm sure he'll do the same for you. Get in touch and you'll see your life will change dramatically. JoyousExpansion.com. JoyousExpansion.com. Yeah.